0: I'd be fascinated if your account of how Dole got put on the ticket in 76 and what the Well, I need you,
1: I'll, I'll be glad to discuss what I know about it. I, I need to tell you, I was not, at that time, I was not uh, in, the, in the inside group uh, in terms of selecting the vice presidential nominee. I was the delegate hunter for President Ford in his uh, contest for the nomination. Uh, against uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, And so I don't know what all the inside uh, uh, discussions were. Uh, I've read, like you have, that uh, there were a number of people on the list, that there was, uh, at an early stage, uh, a decision was made because of the opposition of the state Republican chairman from the South to replace the vice president. In retrospect, I'm not sure that was the right uh, decision to make, and I've always believed that if Ford had, uh, had kept Nelson Rockefeller and or uh, put Reagan on the ticket, particularly put Reagan on the ticket, that he would have won in 76, and I've had many discussions one on one with, with uh, Ronald Reagan about that when I was his chief of staff. I write about those in this book that i'm going that I'm going to give you Now, having said all that, that's no in no way a knock on uh, on Bob Dole. It's just that I think the election was so very, very close that either one of those two uh, scenarios could very well have given us what we needed, which was only another ten or 11,000 votes.
0: Well, you know, that's fascinating because the story, at least as I've heard, I'm sure there are variations of it, was at the time that there was such bad blood between the Ford and the Reagan camps. There was. And that people had been told, Ford wanted to visit Governor Reagan once the nomination was
1: clear. The deal was, Richard, we had an agreement that there would be a unity meeting Whoever lost would, uh, would, would meet with the winner in order to bring the party together for the general election. That, that, that uh, agreement was made between the campaigns before the convention. After the convention and Ford won uh, on the, particularly on that critical 16C vote by only 30 delegate votes. We went to the Reagan campaign and said, we need to, after the nomination, we need to have the unity meeting. They said, we'll be delighted to have a unity meeting with you, provided you agree in advance you will not offer uh, Governor Reagan the vice presidency. And, um, of course, the Ford uh, camp didn't want to do that anyway. It had been a very, very bitter primary. Uh, Ford didn't want to offer it to Reagan and Reagan didn't want to take it but I've had I've had at least two or three conversations uh after that when I was president Reagan's chief of staff one on one with him in the oval office and I write about it in my uh, recent book uh in which I said you know Mr. President if um if uh president Ford had offered you the vice presidency uh and you had taken it you might never have been president. He said, I understand that, but he said, I have to tell you, Jim, that if he had offered it to me, I would have felt duty-bound to take it. Uh, I also note that Paul Laxalt, who was very close to uh, Governor Reagan, has a different take on it, which was that he didn't, that he, in effect, winked at his campaign and said, I don't want it. You let them know I don't want it. But the President, but President Reagan was very, very upfront with me about, it. and you know he's not, he's guileless, and he, what you see is what you get with President Reagan, and I do not believe that he was playing games with me. But it's an interesting, uh, thing to, uh, to think about.
0: Had you had any contact with Dole before the '76?
1: No, I I had had no I had had no real contact. Of course, I'd not done any national politics before '76 when i became the delegate hunter for the dole for the ford uh, dole uh, ticket actually it wasn't it wasn't the ford dole, dole ticket delegate hunter for president ford in may of 76 uh, and it was during that uh, time and then after the nomination when i became the general chairman of the president ford committee and dole was on the ticket that's when i had my first uh, experiences with uh, Senator Dole. Uh, I, got, I got in trouble right away uh, in, in one respect. I was doing an interview uh, shortly after I became general chairman of the effort and, and the question was, How are how's the campaign c- coming? Are you happy with the way things are developing and so forth and so on? I said yes, but I said we need to do a better job. Uh, with our vice presidential uh, effort. We're not doing uh, what we need to do there. And and uh, that was interpreted by uh, by the senator and I think by Len Nofziger, who was uh, assisting him at the time, to be a knock on them, which it wasn't. It was, in effect, I was in effect saying, we need to give them more support and we need to create a better uh, number two effort. Uh, <laughs> That that was a very brief little uh, contretemps. Didn't last very long. But but uh, Bob Dole worked worked very hard as the nominee for uh, for President Ford, and did a very good job for the ticket, in my view.
0: That said, he did take some knocks. I mean, the very fact that the that the race was as close as it was. Yeah. Um, he took he took a lot of heat.
1: Yeah, the uh, democratic wars comment—that's exactly. one. Do you remember but a, yeah, well, yes, yeah, I rem, i remember that. To... I remember that. But I want to tell you, um, in a in an election that close, there there are two thousand things that you could go back with twenty twenty hindsight and said if this hadn't happened or that happened or this hadn't happened, the result would have been different. In my view, that did not cost uh, Ford the the election that comment by uh, by senator dole uh, it was quite, it was promptly, uh repudiated but it was the only thing I, that i can remember that uh, uh that was seen to be a negative uh, with respect to his uh, effort as the vice presidential nominee i need to i need to tell you that um i worked really closely with bob when uh I was chief of staff for President Reagan in the first term, and he was um, uh, in the Senate initially uh, as minority, as a majority whip. Maybe was didn't wasn't he? Uh, at one point, he was majority leader when we were working with That's him. Right. And I think that was maybe when I was at Treasury, and we were doing tax reform, and Bob Dole was indispensable to uh, that number one domestic priority of uh, President Reagan's getting enacted and
0: also into,
1: enacted into law. Well, he'd been on the Finance Committee for uh, quite a while. He'd been involved in in uh, those issues. He was an extraordinarily good legislative tactician. Bob's Bob's um, Signature way of of greeting you in you know, over the telephone when he'd call me when I was chief of staff. He's, he, he'd say, "How are we going?" That's what he would always say. "How are we going?" Which means, "What's going on? How are we doing?" And uh, but he was he was as good as at legislative strategy as anybody I dealt with in the 13 or so years that I was in Washington. In in either as chief of staff uh, at the White House or Secretary of Treasury or Secretary of State, he was magnificent, and and was a very good majority leader when he took over that post.
0: Can I explain that because I think most people have very little understanding of how Congress works.
1: Well, it's convoluted. It's just what's the old saying? You don't want to watch. a lot. It's like like watch, watching sausage being made. Not any fun to watch watch the way our laws are made, but it's. Uh, but you have to be able to build consensus. You have to be a leader. Uh, I always called him leader. That was my term for it. I didn't call him Senator Dole or, you know, Bob, or I just say lead. I called him leader, and of course that was the name of his dog, if you remember his little schnauzer, his and Elizabeth. Elizabeth worked for me in the uh, first Reagan White House. She was the assistant. Uh, to the president for public liaison when I was chief of staff, so I had a, a close relationship with them. Uh,
0: was it? Did that ever create an awkward situation?
1: The only I only had two awkward situations with uh, with Bob Dole. I've already mentioned one of them to you, which was when I made I made the comment intending to be saying that we, we needed to beef up our vice presidential effort to help. That effort and it was uh, I think I think it was misinterpreted and it was quickly forgotten. The second was in the, the uh, presidential debate, primary debate in Nashua, New Hampshire, in 1980, when uh, Bush had negotiated a, a one-on-one debate with with Reagan. The Nashua Telegraph was going to sponsor it. The Nashua Telegraph wanted it to be one-on-one, and they didn't want to they didn't want to open it up to the other candidates. The Reagan uh, campaign was smart enough to say we need to have the other candidates included. They all showed up there. Uh, President Bush, uh, I mean, uh, Ambassador Bush, was stuck to his word. He was true to his word to the Telegraph that it was going to be one-on-one, and she said, no, I won't open it up. I told him it would be one-on-one. As far as I'm concerned, it ought to be one-on-one, and that's when uh, they all went out there, marched up on the stage, and President and Governor Reagan said, Mr. Breen, Mr. Green, he said, I paid for this microphone, and the guy's name was John Breen. But he took that line right out of a movie script that he'd been involved in. But coming off the stage, I was standing at the bottom of the stage that uh, that evening. Coming off the stage, Bob Dole came down, and he took his forefinger and he punched it in my chest. He said, I'm going to tell you something, Jim Baker. You will never I will never forget this. You will never live this down. Well, it went away after but he was quite upset about it. And that's the only time there was ever any uh, tension whatsoever serious tension between uh, Senator Dole and me and we worked really, really closely together and well together to uh, to um, produce the uh, legislative gains that Ronald Reagan was able to achieve in his first term, which were quite remarkable.
0: Well, in fact, that brings up, I mean, he was pretty much a good soldier. I mean, no one for a moment believed that he had uh, converted to supply-side economics. That's correct. And yet,
1: was, he, he was- he, But yet he was, but he he, he helped us and he, he was a damn good soldier, uh, and and he was always there. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't playing playing his own game or his own agenda, playing stuff on the side the way you see so often in politics and particularly in uh, Washington politics. Uh, and I'm sure that there were things in tax reform. I can't remember the specifics, but. There may be again, there may be some of that in this uh, in this book I'm going to give you, but there were some things in tax reform, I think that Bob was probably not particularly enamored of. He might have felt uh, i don't I don't know this, but he could very well have said, "Wait a minute, we can't cut these marginal rates this much uh, and expect to uh, deal with the deficit." Because he had a, he was concerned about the deficit. He now we deficit all know, and we all know that yes, he was a deficit hawk, but and, and but nevertheless, he went along with the Reagan program, and we now know that in uh, retrospect, it worked. The program worked. The supply side economic theory was was validated and vindicated in the aftermath of those uh, major uh, reductions in the top marginal rate that Reagan was able to achieve. Then, of course, in the
0: second year, he comes back with uh, TEFRA, with the, uh, the sort of the, the attempt to take back a few of the Christmas ornaments. Well, we were, yeah, community.
1: but that wasn't just Bob Dole now. That was Jim Baker his chief of staff of the White House and, and uh, practically all of us in the White House, including Ed Meese and Mike Deaver, and in the final analysis, Nancy Reagan. And let me explain to you why that happened. We had campaigned in 1980 on a platform to reduce uh, taxes by $500 billion. We got into a bidding war with the Democratic House in the the person of Tip O'Neill and and Danny Rostenkowski, and we ended up cutting taxes by $750 billion. At a time when the economy was really sick, uh, we'd inherited stagflation from the Carter uh, years. And um, and you remember what happened in 82, 80, late 81, 82, early 83. I mean, the president's approval rating went down to 37 to and, percent and we were beginning to create these humongous deficits bigger than the country had ever seen before as a percentage of GDP. And a number of us, including Senator Doe, thought we needed to do something about that. So we finally convinced, after a lot of tough (laughs) discussions, finally convinced President Reagan to go with something called TEFRA, which was a a, a tax, in effect, a tax increase designed to recapture that $250 billion that we'd cut taxes uh, over and above what our campaign promise was. And the President wasn't happy about it. I never will forget him finally agreeing to do it and taking off his glasses and throwing them down on the oval office desk and all right damn it I'm going to do it but it didn't but I'm not happy about it or something like that and we did it and president reagan in, in his in the I like the last book he wrote or last uh, one of his last memoirs said it was uh, probably the worst decision of his presidency and he shouldn't have done it and I'm inclined to agree with him frankly mm-hmm. I, yeah, well I think so I don't I don't think that got us. I don't think that, now maybe politically, maybe at that time politically that was a, a good thing to do and it bought, us, it bought us a little bit of time, but you don't, you don't reduce the deficit by raising taxes because Congress is going to spend that money on other things and in the absence of spending restraint you will never reduce the deficit by increasing taxes.
0: One interesting asterisk to that, though, uh, one very well-placed old staffer uh, told me they sat at a meeting with Paul Volcker where he said point blank, if you do this, I will lower interest rates. That there was a quid pro
1: quo. Well, there was no doubt about that, and that would have been the position of the uh, Chairman of the Federal Reserve. He would like to have seen, uh, particularly at that time, seen some revenue uh, increases, some uh, yeah, you know, did, did we get did we have a commitment that if we did TEFRA we'd get uh some interest rate reductions. I don't remember that. I was chief of staff of the White House, so I wasn't at that time I wasn't Treasury Secretary. Uh so it may be that that happened. I, I can't vouch for I don't know of my own personal knowledge that it did. But at the time politically it probably was the right thing to do, but substantively I think it was a mistake to raise those taxes but to recoup what we would cut beyond what we promised in the campaign.
0: This is a sidebar, but I have to ask you, in retrospect, should the president have let David Stockman go instead of taking him to the woodshed?
1: Uh, well, I'm I, I'm still of the view that he did the right thing by taking him to the woodshed because the damage had been done and we needed somebody. David Stockman was the only guy in there that knew the numbers and knew the the substance of the of the budget and the detail that he knew it. So I think that uh, I don't think it would have. Uh, I, I think we would have had a lot of trouble trying to find a, an OMB director at that critical time in the process. No, I think it was the right thing to do at the time.
0: Social Security reform right. is a you know, monumental achievement and obviously a perennial topic of discussion.
1: Uh, well, Bob Dole was involved in that too. In, you know He was right in on the, you know, in on the takeoff and the landing on what we did in 1983 to save the Social Security system. And it's the only time it's ever been done to my to my knowledge uh, uh, and in the only way it can be done. This uh, current administration uh, under 43 uh, decided because they had a Republican House and a Republican Senate and owned the White House that they were gonna muscle Social Security reform through. You can't, it's, you can't do that. Social Security is the third rail of American politics. Anybody who touches it gets burned and burned badly. Bob Dole certainly understood that. Howard Baker understood it. Jim Baker in the White House understood it. That uh, commission that we formed, I think the idea of the commission even was, uh, was suggested by Republican senators, uh, among them Howard Baker and probably Bob Dole. Uh, it used that, that commission, uh, uh, the Greenspan Commission, we called it, met in the basement of my home on Foxhall Road, and we fixed Social Security for 30 years, and we only could do it because we got the the top of the Democratic Party and the top of the Republican Party both together behind the effort, so that we could take it out of politics, so one side wouldn't use it against the other. Uh, Bob was instrumental. Uh, extraordinarily uh, vital to that effort.
0: What, what are his skills in a, in a situation like that? I mean, some people have talked to I me and said, it's almost, I mean, I suppose any great legislative leader has almost a, a sixth sense. It's a, it's a psychological instinct about exactly when
1: two people... He knows to when to move. move. Well, he knows he knows where to move, he knows how to move, he knows when to move. I mean, he's as I, as I told you, I, I don't think I've ever, and I worked with a lot of them in my 13 years up there in various iterations, I don't think I ever worked with one who was a better legislative leader. He was superb at that, and he he knew how to bring the disparate uh, views together. He knew how to appeal to, to people on the far left and the far right of his own caucus. You know, you think about Jim Jeffords from uh, of, uh, of Vermont and Jesse Helms of North Carolina. You you're talking about two different breeds of cat there. You think the humor helps? Good, wonderful. He, he very, very. He had a wonderful sense of humor. Still does, of course. Yeah, and it helped tremendously. And what a what a spectacular uh, political career. Uh, you know, a nominee of his party for both vice president and president of the United States. He could have probably stayed in the Senate uh, until he died if he wanted
0: to. It's interesting. Do you have a theory, you know, it's been trotted out over and over again every four years, that in the 20th century at least, only two presidents were elected directly from the Senate. Only one has ever been directly elected from the House. Do you have a theory as to why legislative leadership doesn't seem translate?
1: I think it may be because uh, first of all executive leadership is something that you can uh, you can crow about a little more when you're running for president because you're running for an executive position but also legislative leadership means shaving at the edges and and bringing and, and seeking consensus and getting consensus and Cutting-edge issues oftentimes are what determine campaigns. Uh, and that's why I think... And furthermore, uh, legislative leaders, whether it's the House or the Senate, they're out there voting every day, on, in f- six or eight times a day, and they're leaving a paper trail, and they're leaving, uh, and they're leaving a trail that their opponents can, uh, can pull things out of and use against them. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons I think legislative leaders don't do too well.
0: I wonder if there's one more factor and that, you know, so much of the modern presidency, Harry Truman said, is the, uh, all about persuasion and and there's a kind of a legislative language which is almost a foreign language. and It's almost like you're in a bubble and Dole would uh, be accused often of going out on the betrayal uh and, and speaking in this kind of shorthand legislative shorthand which no one in the audience. no one
1: else really started. that's right, but to him it was second nature. Yeah, right. I think that that's, there may be something to that. I I don't know. He he had a tough go when he was nominated though. He was nominated in ninety six. Uh, had to run against a fairly pop extremely popular president. It was a tough deal.
0: Let me ask you the lead up to eighty eight, um Reagan, at least in public, appeared to be scrupulously hands-off, uh, almost to a degree where – I mean, I wonder if, the, if those of you in the Bush camp were, uh, were concerned uh, to any degree. I mean – Well, we would, have
1: li- to- we would have liked to have seen more, uh, a, more, a, more uh, a, a quicker and perhaps more robust uh, endorsement. But it finally came. It came in time for us to uh, make good use of it, Uh, but I remember when I resigned as Treasury Secretary in August of 88 to go over to run that campaign uh, thinking, well, now you know shortly after Labor Day we get the President, the President will step forth and he'll give a ringing endorsement of his two-term vice president because they were really close by then, you know. They'd had a difficult primary too, but it was eight years ago and and George Bush had been a perfect vice president for Ronald Reagan. But it didn't come until a little bit later. <laughs> it finally came.
0: It's interesting, if you go back even to 72, and the whole the the RNC chairmanship and when Dole was dumped and, and Bush uh, uh, took his place, and you had this series of events really beyond either man's control that had made them rivals. And in some ways, that climax in '88, which was, you know, as we all yeah, that was remember, tough. it was a pretty uh, heated pretty and uh, occasionally even nasty uh, campaign. And there was some must have been some real resentments that lingered for a while. And I want to talk about that a little bit, but, but I'm setting up, I wonder if, if those of the Bush camp then had any doubts over what kind of Senate leader Dole would be, because pretty clearly if they did, they were, they were eliminated.
1: Uh, well, Dole was, a, Dole was a, again, a, a perfect Senate leader for uh, George Bush number 41. I mean, I can't think of one thing. And I was Secretary of State, of course, at the time, but I can't think of one thing that uh I wasn't in the White House, but one thing that the White House wanted that uh that Dole didn't try to deliver. yeah, it'd been a tough primary, but i think I think bob is, is is that kind maybe that kind of a politician where you know where you you can go out and you can be very, very engaged in a very tough Hard-fought campaign with somebody, but you don't let it uh, adversely affect you, the relationship later on. He was a very fine majority leader for uh, for the Bush presidency.
0: And I wonder if that actually, curiously, isn't one of the one of the uh, hallmarks of successful leadership in Congress. I mean, I know I've heard him say so many times, you know, you can't afford to to make enemies, but to have enemies, I mean. It, it's basically, all right, you may be adversaries on this vote, by the next one.
1: Well, I think Bob Dole was a part of the, uh, was a, um, was a um, Jerry Ford, Tip O'Neill type politician where you could fight like hell during the day and then at uh, five o'clock in the afternoon you have a drink of Irish whiskey until... Irish stories. I mean that's the way it used to be when I went up there in 75 and of course Bob was there a lot earlier than that, but that's the way it used to be in Washington. It wasn't as ugly as it is today and it wasn't a zero-sum game. You could fight like, you could be an adversary without being an enemy. You could disagree agreeably. It's almost impossible to do that today. The country is so evenly divided and and uh, politics is such a zero-sum game, and I think the country is, is worse off for it, frankly. We don't have the, uh, you don't have the, the consensus building, you don't have the uh, reaching across the aisle by either side.
0: How much of the media is responsible for that?
1: I think the media, the growth of the media is uh, a large contributing factor. I've said this, again, I've said, I say this in this book, Uh, when you got the advent of of the cable uh, stations and then you get the internet and then you get the bloggers out there and the bloggers can write anything they want to with with impunity, throw it up again, the mud up against the wall and see what sticks and somebody will read it and they'll go with it and you never can, uh, you, you know, you can never erase something once it's out there in the public domain and in the public consciousness. So I think the increased competition for among media outlets is partially responsible for it. Another thing that I think was very, very damaging was the independent counsel law where it became uh, fashionable to uh, do whatever you could to get your opponent indicted. That was the best way to best way to get elected and you didn't need to do much under the independent counsel law except make a credible allegation against somebody at a particular level in government and they ran the risk of being indicted. I mean, it's just terrible. But fortunately we're beyond that now. I know one thing, I know President Clinton has got to be uh, plenty sorry that he ever ever uh, ever signed a renewal <laughs> of that law.
0: And the parties, too, have have have, have if not moved to the extremes, seem to to have much less of a vested interest in that kind of consensus seeking. I mean, there are large elements of both parties for whom consensus is almost a dirty word. That's right. It, well, a, it suggests the sellout of principle it's, Yeah,
1: parties. it's right. Pragma- pragmatism is a dirty word. Well, it shouldn't be. Why? It shouldn't. Be. You don't. Pragmatism without principle is the dirty word, but pragmatism, Principled pragmatism should not be a dirty word. Getting things done, I, again, I keep referring to this new book of mine, but I write in there the number of times I would be uh, sitting there with with Ronald Reagan talking about legislative strategy, and he would tell me, Jim, I'd rather get 80% of what I want than go off the cliff with my flag flying. People think he was a hard line uh, you know, hardcore conservative who never compromised. Baloney, he was a superb negotiator and compromiser and a real pragmatist.
0: You know, it's interesting, the notion of principled pragmatism raises this, this whole question, because while the media uh, tended to focus on the differences between Dole and Bush, particularly in 88, the differences of style and temperament, background, I sensed and particularly once President Bush was in the White House, I sensed that what they had in common in many ways was much greater than what divided them. Partly it was the World War II generation, there was a cultural affinity there, but also they basically were, to use your term, principled pragmatists who believed the point of governing was to get things done.
1: That's right, they were, exactly. And in foreign policy, they, they saw eye to eye. There's no doubt about that. Uh, there was a difference in their background that uh, came out in the primaries that was, you know, discussed in one of the campaign issues, I think, that was out there. Uh, the idea somehow that, uh, that Bush came from a, a life of privilege and, uh, and uh, Dole did not. But that was purely a primary uh, campaign issue that didn't really have the resonance, I don't think, or didn't cut the way uh, I think it was hoped it would.
0: Were you surprised by the Iowa caucus results in 88?
1: Uh, Well, you know... um, let me think back a minute now, because I get eighty eight and ninety two and oh, sure. and eighty four yeah. all mixed up with Pat uh, coming in ahead yeah of yeah that 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 Bush lost to robertson, yeah, i think we i think that was quite a surprise uh, of course i didn't go i didn't uh leave Treasury to go over the campaign till august of eighty eight yeah, I, I now remember that uh, I think I was very surprised that the that a two-term incumbent vice president would have been blown away by a televangelist in uh, in Iowa. Probably shouldn't have been, but I was.
0: And then, of course, you had that one week before New Hampshire,
1: mm-hmm.
0: when uh, almost day by day, you could you could literally track the fortunes of. I mean, by the by Thursday and Friday, Doles' pollster was telling him, "You're in." Going to be president, and
1: uh, is that right? Is that what was happening? Oh
0: yeah, Dick Workland,
1: literally Worthland Yeah, Dick. Oh, Workland Dick. That him, was Reagan's poster. Yeah, yeah,
0: told him on Friday
1: mm-hmm.
0: that basically it's in the bag.
1: I didn't and know that. And Dole was maybe I'd heard that. Dole was I...
0: suspicious. He just mm-hmm. didn't didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And of course, over the weekend, it just turned around. Governor Sununu played a very significant part of all that. There was the ad that was put on the air, suggesting the Dole was unreliable on the issue of tax.
1: Taxes, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Uh, I not Well, see, I was, I was still Treasury Secretary. I don't remember being that intimately involved in the in the primaries at all. Uh, but I, di- I didn't know that, first of all, I'd forgotten, maybe if I ever knew, that Dick Wortman was uh, with Bob's pollster. And secondly, uh, I didn't know that he'd ever said that, that uh, Dole was going to. So did, what did Bush win New Hampshire by? Not too much? Oh,
0: no, actually, it did. It was almost a blowout. I it mean, was? Yeah. There was a debate on Sunday, mm-hmm. and there was this effort, classic modern media politics mm-hmm. to, to get Dole to sign the no-tax pledge. On camera, I think Pete Dupont may have been behind it anyway, and uh, he wouldn't do it. And it crystallized, mm-hmm. of course, a lot of the the back.
1: That screen. so he did by refusing to sound. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And um, it was, but it was just a lightning fast. This this bulge, mm-hmm. you know, within forty eight hours of Iowa, yeah, and then it Boom. just disappeared, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, so
1: it only lasted game. a week. Yeah. Wow. Well, but Bob and Bob came in second in the Iowa caucus, right? No, no. Now Dole
0: won the Iowa caucus. Oh, so. he did. And Robertson came in
1: second. Robertson came in yeah. second. Sorry, yeah. I'm, yeah. And yeah. and Bush came in third. Yeah. yeah. Dole won it, as a matter of fact, quite handily. right? Yeah. So that's right. I don't think that was too much of a surprise. I think everybody anticipated that Bob Dole would win the Iowa caucuses, didn't he, at that time?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's where his slogan was one of us. Yeah. But that's yeah, where that Kansas, kind of cultural yeah, yeah. affinity
1: kicked in. You remember the uh, primary debate that year when uh, when Pete when everybody was jumping on Bush because he was the vice president. And uh, when Pete Dupont said something, and and uh, and George said, "Let me, well now, let me help you with that, Pierre." Do you remember that? <laughs> That's
0: turning <on> the tables. <laughs> Must have felt good.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, hmm. in in the uh, picking a vice president in '88, because uh, of all all sorts of names were mentioned, including uh yeah.
1: You've well, said, here's what I say on that, um, and again, I get into that a little bit in here. I think it was either going to be uh, a dole or quail and uh, and uh, people jumped all over the quail pick because of what happened to quail later on, not because of the 88 in uh, 88 it's pretty hard to fault that selection. Uh, because Bush won all but 10 states, oh. so even if he had picked uh, Bob, and I, w- I would have been very happy with with uh, the senator's selection, I mean with Bob Dole's selection. I was very close. He and I worked well together. We had worked well together and were, and were close, but that's not to say that, uh... see I really, again, I was not particularly involved in that Selection process with uh, Bush, I had one conversation with him about it when he and I went to um, Wyoming on a fishing trip to avoid having to listen to the Democratic convention and Ann Richard's talk about uh, having a silver foot and he born with a silver foot in his mouth, if you remember that, and I write about all of that in there, but the two people that uh, that I remember as being the the real finalists in, in George Bush's uh, selection process were Bob Dole and, and Dan Quayle. I think it was a generational thing. Uh, I think that's the main reason that, that Quayle was selected, and Quayle was being pushed pretty hard by Roger Ailes and by uh, Bob Teeter.
0: But so that. Implicitly, you don't sense that there was bad blood left over from the primary
1: fight. No, I do not that, at all. That by that time, no, I do not at all. There was one other candidate who took himself out, Pete Domenici. He was he was in there in the mix. Uh, Kemp was people used to throw his name out there. I don't think that that would. I don't think he was really in the final. I think the final candidates were Dole and and Quayle. Uh,
0: and, and and what kind of relationship, I mean, broadly speaking, did uh, did President Bush and Senator Dole establish? Um, um, were there regular meetings? Were, I mean, how 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 did the relationship?
1: Yeah, as I've said, on? he was. I've, I've already think uh, told you. I think that Senator Dole was a marvelous uh, majority leader for President Bush. I can't remember one thing that was ever that the White House uh, ever wanted. Certainly not in. the uh, in the foreign policy and national security arena, which I was operating in, nothing that we ever wanted that that Bob Dole didn't try and provide as majority leader. Uh, uh, I don't believe you know. I don't really think there was any. Uh, I don't. I don't remember detecting any animus on the part on George Bush's part toward Dole for, based on some things that had happened earlier on the uh, re, you know the national committee uh, episode or the, even the uh, Iowa up the uh, New Hampshire primary don't you know stop uh, lying Stop lying about stop my, lying record. By my record all that stuff I don't I didn't detect any animus May have been there. I just didn't attend. Yeah, it. sure.
0: Well, that raises a sort of a philosophical question. Again, the thing I, I think they have in common, but I because in your your comment, they were basically sort of can do conservatives. I mean yep. Noel, Noel came out of Western Kansas, you know, in, in nineteen sixty a rock rib Goldwater conservative who who opposed Medicare and aid to education and, and over time evolved. Um and 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 yet, <clears throat> I mean, today
1: – He may have evolved or the party may have evolved.
0: Well, A or, lot or of both. I mean, well,
1: A yeah, lot of times it's both.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to see. It's almost like ships of the night. I mean, I saw it with President Ford as an ex-president to the point where, you know, he was this dangerous radical on the left, you know, to, to, yeah. to, to the newly ascendant, mm-hmm. particularly the religious right. Yeah. And, and Dole – was a pragmatist. Yep. Uh, and thought there was a role for government in a lot of a lot of areas. Okay, right. And I sensed it that President Bush likewise. That's right. And and this is something they had in common. But it also meant in a way they were they were in positions of power. But they were they were also to some degree at least at odds with large parts of their own governing coalition. I mean
1: uh, hmm.
0: How comfortable, I mean, for, I'll give you an example. I mean, when, when Dole ran in '96, he was visibly uncomfortable catering to the religious right. Thought he had to do it. You know, there's the Hollywood speech and that yeah, yeah, all yeah. of these gestures, and it never really, to those mm-hmm. of us who knew it, it never really rang true. And I thought in many ways it mm-hmm. undercut his authenticity, which I thought was a real. You know one of the really strong things he had going for him, what have you thought about dole he was he was real yeah and and some of the criticism that had been directed earlier at Vice President Bush and then the President Bush, there was a sense that th- this was someone who was not totally comfortable ingratiating himself with I
1: the, think it depends on how far over you what what, what that segment of the of the uh, well, say the King right King of you're talking about, uh,
0: uh, you know the. the yeah. uh, I mean, I think is, President I Bush
1: hurt himself a lot when he uh, when he broke his no new taxes pledge. That that hurt, I think, in terms of his position with the right.
0: Was that the origins of that? The, the conventional wisdom is it came out of, of the convention at a time when you were behind in the polls needed to What are you talking about? Uh, sorry, read my lips. Tre- yeah, read my lips. Oh
1: yeah, that happened. Uh... When we started out, well when I left treasury, we were 18 points behind. I don't think I I think I left treasury after the convention, didn't I? Yes, I can't remember. The 88 convention. I left it just days before the 92 convention, I remember that, I left state yeah. just days before. But I think I left Treasury uh, after the, I don't remember any de- any debate about read my lips. I mean, I, wouldn't, I was not involved at right. that time, so I don't remember.
0: I guess the question I, I'm asking is whether the demands of getting elected, in that case, of drawing a line in the sand between you and your opponent very effectively, in some ways came back to haunt uh, the president in the White House when he decided, and I think most historians think rightly and and credited with the courage of the decision, that something had to be done about these ballooning deficits. Uh, I mean, it was an act of—it may have been politically suicidal, but it was also Incredibly courageous.
1: What he got, what he got, of course, was some spending restraint, which then then didn't pan out. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you, you think, in retrospect, it was a mistake to uh, the, the budget deal?
1: I don't think it was a mistake substantively, uh-huh. but I think that he didn't give sufficient. Uh, consideration to the um, to the extraordinary political cost of doing that, because because it had been such a complete read my lips, you know. Yeah, I think it hurt him. Well, I know it hurt him, with, and and uh, because you know it helped fuel the third party candidacy of Ross Perot, and he got nineteen percent. And two thirds of his votes came from us. We got 38 percent. Clinton only got 43 percent. You take two thirds of 19 and add it to 38. We get 51 yeah. percent. I mean, we had a terrible problem. We had that. We had the economy in the tank, and uh, we had an administration who didn't do anything to. We we should have gone up in uh, January of '92 and and call for something called domestic storm in the aftermath of desert storm, yeah. around which we could build a campaign. We didn't do it. That was our mistake.
0: Were you getting any advice of that effect from people like Dole? Uh, or,
1: or, I don't or? remember. Well, I was, see, I was Secretary of State. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember, but I do know there was an internal debate uh, And someone, I think, even made the suggestion we need to go up with something called domestic storm. But the president's economic advisors, Bushes in 92, were telling him, hey, wait a minute, we don't have to do that. The economy is coming back. And it was. And it came back in October of 92, just in time for Bill Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) Can we
0: speak for an unlucky president? Yeah. Um, Gulf War, quickly, uh, uh, the whole lead-up to the Gulf War.
1: Dole was Dole was magnificent on that. Perfect. I mean, nobody could have asked for better support, more support.
0: And, and how did that support manifest itself?
1: Well, he helped us get... We, we You know, we only got a resolution. We only got a, approval from the Senate 52 to 48. And without Dole, we wouldn't have gotten it. It was not popular at the time. We were dealing... Uh, with a tough situation, people forget that. And the only way we got that Senate support was to have someone like, like Senator Dole working to help us achieve it. And we went out and got the rest of the world on board so that we could go to a Senator who wasn't gonna support the President, and say, Senator, you're not gonna support the President in this endeavor, but the President of Ethiopia is gonna support him and you won't. I mean, it was a very, very forceful argument, very effective argument. But the Senator but uh, Senator Dole helped tremendously. We wouldn't have been able to do it without him.
0: And, in fact, I think the Senate vote was preceded by the U.N. vote. So yes, we
1: got the U.N. vote. We got the use of force resolution. For We put that unprecedented international coalition together before we ever approached our Congress for authorization. And had we not done that, we would not have gotten authorization from the Congress.
0: And it's fascinating. I mean, these these the kind of leadership that doesn't translate well to the television age. No, it doesn't. And yet, it's what presumably President Bush excelled at.
1: Yeah, he was. He was personal diplomacy. He was terrific. He was very good at it. He was an, you know, I don't want to. I'm not, This will sound bad coming from me because i was a part of it but he had an extraordinarily good foreign policy presidency effective a lot of things happened in those four years and practically all of them practically all of them happened uh correctly i'll tell you one place where bob dole was quite instrumental was in uh the balkans in kosovo he had a big he had a, a staffer i think who was very interested in kosovo and uh, Bob was very uh, interested in that issue and involved in that issue and kept after it and kept after it until today. You see, there's a, a UN resolution that may w- very well be voted from by the Security Council for independence for Kosovo, for the Albanian majority in Kosovo to achieve independence. Bob was Bob was on that issue way back when before before the uh, the Serbian and Croatian uh, wars in bosnia, Herzegovina in ninety
0: two I remember at the end of the Bush presidency there was a uh, I, I, I saw it at C-span, there was a salute to the president congressional dinners I call of some sort. It was after the election before the inauguration
1: before the inauguration of Clinton.
0: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly, and I'll never forget because both Bush and Dole were bordered on tears in talking about each other. I mean, it was—it's like it, it, things it come full circle, and, and one sense that uh, you know, that they, I mean, a, a real bond.
1: Well, they were both probably—they're both probably quite aware that their political. Careers were ending, and they were, as you pointed out, they were both uh, leaders that came out of World War II, and that's you know, that may may account for that. I don't know, and yet and yet Dole was going to go on and he was going to go on and be the Republican nominee for president in '96.
0: Yeah, what, what what contact have you had? I mean, after the Bush, the first Bush presidency. Were you involved uh, at all in the 96 not
1: really not not extensively i uh i helped with some uh un- informal debate negotiation uh, s- strategy with uh, b- both the senator and congressman kemp at at the, at the senator's request not as the official uh ne- negotiator uh but that was about all. I, I, I took a couple of trips with him on the campaign plane.
0: I know from uh, from hearing him during that '96 campaign, it was tough to go
1: out. There. Oh, I did. Excuse me. Let me back up yeah. and say, I also gave a I also gave a, a, a red meat uh, foreign policy speech at the convention in San Diego at the request of the, the Dole campaign. Yeah, you were about to say something.
0: so. I was going to say that he 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 said he came back one day and told people the campaign uh, because there were leaks, unflattering leaks. I mean, and and I mean, there were leaks. We, yeah, leaks coming out of the campaign, mm-hmm. obviously designed to make the leaker look good and mm-hmm. at the expense of the candidate. And yeah. uh, he came close to losing his temper and basically said, you know. I'm going out there day after day after day after day, you know, getting hit over the head with the poles and everything else and, you know, being the being good soldier and uh, talking up victory. And it was, it, was, it was pretty disheartening to come back to your own camp and, and find
1: people. They were leaking that, it wa- that they weren't going to win? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's terrible. Yeah. That would be terrible.
0: How do you think he changed in the course of his career? And and how did the Republican Party
1: change? Well, that's, uh, that's beyond my uh, ability to describe, I think, uh, Richard. Because I know, you know, how did he change? I, I didn't know Bob until, uh, as I told you, 76. I didn't even know him when I was Deputy Secretary of Commerce. I knew him when I took over the Ford campaign and after he was nominated. Has um, the party changed? I think it's probably changed a lot like the Dem- Democratic Party. They move more and more uh, to the fringes to do their nominating. And people who, I remember we had a county chairman here in uh, Texas way back when I first got into politics. with. George Bush in 1970, who was seen to be an arch conservative, and by the time I left, I left politics, she was seen to be a, 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 an unacceptable moderate. So, I mean, I think the, that's the way the parties both have changed: uh, to the left for the Democrats, to the right for the Republicans.
0: And what would it take to reverse that? I don't know. Electoral disaster for, for one. Well, or
1: two? that that. that that would sure do it. Uh, maybe, maybe an end to the country being quite so evenly divided between red states and blue states. We've got to find a way to get back to a civility in our politics, somehow. Where in our governance, at least, maybe not in the politics. You, you know, what you say out there on the stump is generally, I think, okay, legitimate. You go back, you're a historian, you look at what's happened in the history of presidential politics in this country. Some of the things that are being said today are no worse. In fact, they're far less uh, bad than some of the things that were said in our early campaign. But in governing, you've got to find a way to, to um, work together for the benefit of the country. We've got to get back to that somehow.
0: Do you think part of the problem, structurally, I don't mean to pick on Clinton, but the whole notion of the Clinton War Room and the permanent campaign, the fact that there are, there's no distinction between running for office.
1: Yeah, but I don't think that's ever been, I don't think it's any different uh, than it has always been. They They articulated it, and they pointed it out publicly, and they called it the permanent war room. But that's the way you run an administration. I've been chief of staff to two presidents and you've got to be you know, you've got to respond in hours and, and minutes and hours instead of days and weeks now in terms of the news cycle and everything. So you have to run it. you uh, you gotta have a theme of the day, you gotta have a picture of the day, you got we we were doing that way back in the Reagan year.
0: Well, even Gerald Ford,
1: Ford the strategy. did it uh, in the Ford days. Did it in the in Nixon days. Yeah. yeah. How
0: do you think Dole ought to be remembered?
1: I think he ought to be remembered as uh, as someone who uh, served his country uh, uh, extraordinarily well, not, not just uh, as a military man, which he certainly did. He was a true uh, war hero, but and almost gave his life for his country but someone who served his country uh, extraordinarily well as a public servant and who was a practitioner of politics in the finest uh, tradition of that practice.
0: One thing, um, not for this, I have to ask you mm-hmm. and I'll tell you a quick story. Do you remember if Don Rumsfeld was at the 76th convention? in Kansas City? And I, t- I, I don't remember
1: at- that. I don't remember whether he was, in, but he would not have been able to take a part in it because he was Secretary of Defense.